Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Ben and this is the Smoking Hot Confessions podcast. Hey family, I hope you're well wherever you are and you got that thin blue smoke rolling. This episode is part of my US road trip series where I travel through several states competing at the Houston World's Barbecue Championships and learning as much about barbecue as possible. The trip starts in Texas before going across to Louisiana and then up into Arkansas. It was a hell of a trip and I'm so excited to be able to share it with you. Before we get into it, I want to invite you to come join us at the Smoking Hot Confessions community on Facebook. It's a great place to continue the conversation. Also, make sure you get your free copy of my ebook, 27 Lessons Learned from Competition Barbecue. Jump on over to smokinghotconfessions.com slash ebooks to get your copy now. Finally, however you listen to this episode, please make sure you subscribe, rate, and review. This will really help me spread that barbecue love. Okay, so the final stop on our tour of the US was Fort Smith, Arkansas, the home of Walmart. My wife's family is from that town, so we were there to visit the aunts and uncles. Not that that stopped me tracking down some very interesting people to talk Q with. The first was Daniel from the Fort Smith Barbecue Society. This is a very passionate group of local people looking to make a difference in their local area. They get out there, get dirty, and help some of the most needy in their community. But if I tell you any more, I'll spoil it. This is the internationally awarded Smoking Hot Confessions podcast with your host, Ben Arnott. How long has it been since your last confession? Smoky Q Rubs and Sauces is the creation of founder chef Paul J. Lang and all products are proudly made by hand in Western Australia. All their products are truly unique with bold flavours that are perfectly balanced between sweet, hot, salty and savoury. Moreover, all of their products are completely gluten-free and contain no MSG, artificial ingredients, preservatives or fillers. Aware of their responsibility within our community, Smoky Q are proud to participate in the Western Australian Disability Engagement Program, providing meaningful employment and security for the less fortunate. Always in the pursuit of perfection, the team at Smoky Q aim to inspire everyone's inner chef with their Australian-made spice rub and sauce and rub combinations. To get your hands on these incredible products, head on over to smokyq.com.au. That's S-M-O-K-E-Y-Q.com.au now. Alrighty, Daniel, thanks for taking the time to chat with me today and uh, welcome to The Confessional. Uh, thank you for uh, thank you for contacting me and uh, glad to be uh, inside The Confessional. First time I've done one of these. Oh, there you go. Fair enough. I uh, I hope it's not too uh, too torturous for you. No, no, we'll be we'll be okay. <laughs> All right. So tell me, mate, what was the last thing that you barbecued? Uh, the last thing I barbecued was actually uh, pork loin back ribs. Ooh, nice. How did you do that? Um, let's see. We actually we cooked. Uh, Cooked them up Super Bowl weekend, uh, on just on my smoker, and uh, it was part of uh, a fundraiser our group was doing for another uh, nonprofit organization. And what kind of smoker are you cooking on at the moment? Uh, mine is actually a custom built. Uh, I would, I would say it was it could be classified as reverse flow. Um, 
we took, uh, with the help of some friends of mine, uh, a couple of them who have since passed on, uh, we took a 250-gallon propane tank, uh, cut a couple of doors out on the side, um, and built a firebox internally. Uh, we welded a piece of uh, steel to act as a baffle between the firebox and the cooking chamber and dropped the stack down inside to where it's just about an inch above the bottom shelf. So the heat will actually go up over, swing, uh, uh, turn, go back up to the baffle. It'll continue to flow that way. It doesn't look like much, but uh, it can definitely do some cooking. Yeah, it sounds like a very, very interesting design, particularly seeing as you managed to find a way to get the firebox sort of inside the, the one unit there. It'd be very interesting to have a look at. Yeah, it, uh, it was it was actually based on uh, one of my buddies who, who helped build it for me. It was basically a smaller version of what he and his brother-in-law had built. And they realized they'd made some mistakes when they built that one. So they said, okay, we're going to build yours and we're going to do what we needed to do with ours. And it actually turned out a little bit better. Uh, awesome. Awesome. Learning from the past. Love it. Yeah. So everyone's got a, has their, has their own origin story with barbecue. Could you tell us yours? Well, actually, uh, it kind of started with my uh, father years ago uh, when I was a kid. I'm 41 now. I'm actually the oldest of uh, four kids. And um, when my dad was uh, in his early 20s, he uh, he apprenticed and worked at a barbecue place down in Little Rock. And he, uh, he was doing that during the summers uh, when he was away uh, home from high school. And he started, he learned how to basically cook old school, uh, just, you know, straight salt and pepper and, uh, hickory for the wood. And, uh, he left, he left the uh, barbecue restaurant and then, um, ever so often he would get a little, he would have a little bullet smoker at the house and he would try to, he'd try to do brisket. He'd try to do ribs, uh, pork and beef, um, it was, you know, it was one of those, he would smoke for like birthdays, uh, rare events, things like that. And then, uh, we got away from it for a little bit. And then, um, actually through the Knights of Columbus, I met up with a friend of mine who was, uh, his name was Anthony Moshner and Anthony kept talking to me about, you know, Oh, we're going out here to do this con, you know, we're going to this contest and, uh, and we're going to go to this contest. And I said, you know, I'd like to, I'd like to see what y'all do at one of these. He says, well, come on. And I did. And he said, when I got there, I think it was in Tulsa. He said, um, you big, you better be prepared to stay up with us overnight. And I said, I'm ready to do whatever I've got to do. And this was back in 2007. I went to a couple of contests with him and his family and, uh, I got hooked and I was like, okay, I want to build a smoker. He says, well, you're not ready just yet. 
he said, you need to do a couple of backyard contests, try to, you know, get an understanding for what you're in for. And he said, then we'll talk afterwards. Well, I did three backyard contests in one summer. Was, uh, I think this was still around 2007. And he, after I did pretty well with those, he says, all right, I think you're ready for us to build your smoker. And he gave me the list of materials. I I went out and scrounged up what I could for him, and he uh, and that was pretty much it. I mean, my my smoker is now ten years old, and I have other than a few modifications and a few little repairs, I really haven't done anything else with it. I mean, it's still it's still as solid as the day they built it. Yeah, built to last. That's fantastic. And it sounds like they really made you uh, earn that smoker. They did. Uh, they. Uh, it's kind of funny. The, the story I tell is it cost me $800 in parts and five cases of beer for labor. <laughs> That's the best kind of labor I can come up with. But um, now it, we, it was basically, uh, I put there was sweat equity in this smoker because they, uh, when Anthony and, uh, his friend named John settle and they were building the smoker, they all, they both looked at me and they said, you're going to be in on this too. And I said, I want to be on it in on it. I said, I'm going to be the one that's using this. So I was actually the one that made the first cuts into the propane tank after we had let it, uh, been out for about eight weeks. I mean, you can still smell the propane in the steel, and I'm sitting there with an angle grinder fixing to make the first cut for the door, and I looked over at Anthony, and I said, where are you going to be? He said, oh, I'm going to be about 25 yards away at my truck drinking a beer. He said, I'm not going to stand here while you do this. <laughs> okay, go right ahead. But, uh, no, it actually, uh, no, Anthony did most of the welding, uh, and between Kim and uh, John Settle and myself and a couple others, uh, we did all the fabrication. Uh, Anthony and did a lot of the welding because uh, that was his profession. He actually worked in construction, uh, putting up build, uh, steel buildings. And uh, so, yeah, this was all – we were working on this at night after work and uh, on the weekends. So it's actually Anthony and my dad and uh, several of Anthony's friends were, uh, they were the force behind uh, getting me into barbecues. Very cool. So when it comes to working with uh, propane tanks for smokers and that, you basically said that you just aired it out for eight weeks. Is that all the precautionary measures you need to take? Well, that would be part of the precautionary measures. I mean, uh, we actually, we bought the tank from a, from a propane dealer, uh, it was one that they had decertified. And the first thing we did after we got it off the trailer was take off all the fittings um, that were still on there. And we just let it set out. Uh, Anthony's mother uh, had about 20 acres of land, and we set the tank out there in the pasture, and uh, we just let it. Letting it vent out was key, and then, uh, of course, during the 
during the time it was venting, we also had storms roll through in a lot of rain. So the, uh, the rain helped, helped wash a little bit more of that out. But the, the odor of the, there was actually no propane left in the tank. I mean, all of it had vented out. Um, and we rolled the tank over to drain it out before we started cutting on it. The only thing that you could smell was the, uh, was the odor that they include in the propane. But that was stuff that had permeated into the steel. And does that smell eventually burn out as you're using the smoker? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we, uh, yeah, after we, actually, after we made the first, uh, after we cut the doors um, and welded the hinges to them so we could open them up, one of the first things we did was uh, we just lit a, a trash fire, for lack of a better term. Uh, we just lit it in there and kind of let, uh, just to see how it was going to draft and, uh, to try to get a little bit more of that smell out. But I would say, um, uh, after a couple of good seasonings, you couldn't hardly, you could still smell the propane a little bit on the outside, but, uh, but now if you can't, I mean, I would say probably it was a couple months later that you couldn't smell it anymore. That's great. So, mate, tell me about the Fort Smith Barbecue Society. What is it and what do you do? Well, uh, Barbecue Society was actually, um, it was created to help with the promotion of barbecue and barbecue competition. Um, I did not start, I'll, I'll say right now, I did not start the Barbecue Society. Um, it, I, I actually joined up in 2008 uh, with Anthony and his sister-in-law and, or excuse me, his sister and uh, several others convincing me, you know, Hey, I needed to do this. And, uh, but the, the original founders of it decided that they wanted to, they wanted to help, like I said, promote barbecue and the, uh, and the competitions, which, Back in 2000, 2001, the competitions were actually just getting, they were just getting off the ground uh, down in this area. And it was um, actually a trip to the Houston Livestock Show and Rodeo and the competition down there that convinced the founder of the society and several of his buddies to come back and say, hey, we can do this here. And it just kind of, it took off from there. Um, well, what, when we do the competition, which is called Border Town Bash, um, the proceeds or the net proceeds from the contest are supposed to go back to a local children's charity. That's, that's in our bylaws. Uh, we have to donate to a local children's charity, whether it be the Fort Smith Boys Shelter, which uh, takes in um, boys who have been uh, taken from their homes due to issues with the family, uh, you know, court-ordered, um, things of that nature. We've uh, donated to the Children's Emergency Shelter, which is similar. Um, but they get, instead of getting in children from just the Fort Smith regional area they get kids in from all over the state 
And sometimes these kids are given, you know, they're given maybe 45 minutes notice to, you know, you're going here. And some of these kids come in with just the clothes on their back. Oh, wow. That's a state of affairs uh, around here. You know, you'll have, unfortunately, you'll have like a, a drug raid where mom and dad have been caught cooking methamphetamines in the house with, you know, three, four, five, six-year-old kids. And they're arrested and there's no family to take kids of, you know, kids that are in the house have got to have, they have to have a place to go. And the emergency shelter says we'll take them. In fact, because of the children's emergency shelter, we actually have two or three more additional shelters in the area that are uh, opening up to handle the influx of those types of cases. So but primarily Watertown and the Barbecue Society were geared towards raising money for children's charities. Mate, sounds like you're doing some fantastic work there in the in the community. I love it. We try. So take me through a day in the life of Daniel from Fort Smith Barbecue Society. What do you what's it like for you when you're in your barbecue society mode? Controlled chaos. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, actually, since Bordertown is our prime or our premier event, we're actually doing fundraisers um, throughout the year to raise money to put on Bordertown. So, uh, a day in my life, whenever I have the hat on, so to speak, um, is trying to coordinate getting the smokers and the uh, their owners to whatever location we're cooking the fundraiser for dealing with uh, the cook teams that are signing up for Bordertown. I used to do the coordination for judging and cooking, and I did that one year, and I was pretty much told, don't do that again, <laughs> because it was just too much to handle. So, And I've also been told several times I need to delegate, because I'm one of these... I, I'm, I'm more of a back-of-the-house type of person when it comes to doing things like this. Uh, I really don't like to be out in the front saying, Hey, look at me, look at me. I'm the one who would rather be wearing a big boonie hat and walking around basically trying to solve problems and keep everybody happy. That's pretty much what I do is I keep the fires and the smokers going and I try to put out all the other fires. No pun intended. (laughs) But a lot of it is, uh, along with Brandy's help and with the other members of our group right now, we do a lot of coordination with the groups that we're cooking the fundraisers for. Um, we try, uh, like I said, I'm, I do a lot of dealing with uh, KCBS and, you know, in terms of signing up for the contest. I try to do as much communication as I can with uh, our contest reps who are Ralph and Karen Williams, and they are probably two of the best reps in KCBS. They're pretty decent people to work with. Um, but yeah, my my day is pretty. When I'm wearing the Barbecue Society hat, I'm trying to keep everybody happy and keep the fires in their right spots. And uh, at the end of the day try to make sure our fundraisers go off without a hitch and 
make sure Watertown goes off without a hitch. Yeah, sounds like you certainly got your work cut out for you there. So tell me about your most successful event to date. Well, uh, outside of Watertown, uh, Fort Smith has, uh, or this area has been hit economically hard over the last uh, 10 years, due in part to a lot of manufacturing loss. Uh, we had Whirlpool, which was one of our biggest employers, uh, shut down. We had Train, which manufactured air conditioners. They've shut their plant down. And we trying to raise money for Bordertown meant having to go into a lot of businesses like this and try to scrounge up any and all fundings that they could afford to give us. So with the help of one of our members uh, who has also passed away, he is a, was a coach over in Oklahoma, and he started selling ribs for their baseball team at one of the local high schools. In fact, it was basically the, he told the baseball players, okay, you go out and sell a rack of ribs for this much. You purchase the ribs, give them to me. I'll rub them, I'll smoke them, and I'll charge you $5 a rack for every one of them I cook. Well, that, you know, his first run was you know, 75 racks. But um, our biggest one, our most successful one to date was we did 700 racks of baby back ribs in one day. It was on a Saturday in August. The air temperature was about 105 degrees. The heat index was about 118. Ooh. We had 13 smokers going, including a massive rotisserie. And we had everything cooked and wrapped up and done within 10 hours. Wow, 700 racks of ribs. It was a lot of ribs, and after it was over with, we all liked to have killed each other. <laughs> <laughs> it took a lot. Oh, it, it yeah, we had, uh, we almost had to call the call 911 for one of our members because he, uh, he hadn't been, he hasn't, hadn't been taking care of himself, like drinking plenty of water and trying to get in out of the shade and or get into the shade and everything. And he ended up with heat exhaustion. Oh no. So it, yeah. That was, that was a scary moment. But, uh, yeah, after we got through with that one, um, we pretty much said we're not doing this again, or at least this many in one day. And from that point on, we, any group that we cook for, we say, okay, we will, we, you're limited to 300 racks to sell. And if you go over that, call us, we'll work something out. I mean, to this day, we're still doing it. In fact, we've got one coming up this Saturday we're going to have to do. But, yeah, 700 racks was the most – that was the most successful event we had. And then, border town-wise, we had one contest where we had upwards of 60 teams. But we were also giving away close to $12,000 in prize money, too. Oh, wow. And this was, this was pre-2008. So this was back when the economy was still good. 
Yeah, that's uh, that's certainly a big prize pool there. So what tips do you have for other people out there who want to start using their barbecue for a good cause? Uh, work as much as you can with the with the group that you're wanting to help out. I mean, just try to be with them every step of the way and don't go in with a mindset of we're going to raise, you know, we're going to raise this much money right off the bat. If you're sitting there saying, okay, we're going to, we're going to sell $10,000 worth of ribs. Well, that's, you know, that's a very good goal to shoot for. But if you're doing this for the first time, you may run into your expectations being dashed. So if we'll, we'll, when we're working for, with an organization, we, whether it's literally group trying to raise money for the uniforms or, uh, we did a, we did a rib cook for a group that takes in, um, teenage women or young women up to, you know, in their twenties, uh, who were basically kicked out of their homes by their families. Um, they were sitting there saying, well, we're going to sell 500 racks of ribs. I said, well, uh, that's a good goal to shoot for. And, you know, we'll help you every step of the way with it. And they said, oh, we're taking care of the advertising. We've got a good base and everything else. Well, that, when they told us they were going to do 500 rib racks, they ended up doing maybe 150. Ooh. Uh, yeah. And we had a, um, and that's why I said, work with them as much as you can and be on the same page with them. Set a decent goal, but don't shoot for the moon right off the bat. But also make sure that it's a cause that you've got a lot of people that are, that are willing to help out with. It's basically, like I said, work with the groups as much as you can. Uh, set a decent goal and uh, work with a cause that that you know is going to you know you're going to get as much participation as you can with it hey this is Big Mo Quezon and I'm here with Smoking the Hot Confessions One of Australia's OG competitive barbecue teams, Shire Smokers have been on the scene since shortly after the Australasian Barbecue Alliance started. Hailing from the Sutherland Shire in the southern regions of Sydney, Matt has a very simple mantra. Positive energy in gets positive energy back out. Cook with passion, but most importantly, have fun, catch up with friends and make new ones. Pass on any knowledge you can and always be the student. Having recently returned from competing internationally in Montreal, Canada, Matt is teaching classes in barbecue, drawing on his years of competition experience. Unlike many other barbecue schools, Matt offers one-on-one and small group intensive formats, which will help you elevate your barbecue game in no time at all. He's also available for corporate demonstrations. To book Shire Smokers, hit up Shire Smokers BBQ on Facebook and Instagram. That's Shire Smokers BBQ on Facebook and Instagram. Alrighty, 
Hey Daniel, thanks for sticking around for segment two. In this segment, we're going to get into Arkansas barbecue because one of the things I've been doing with this series of the podcast is following my journey around through Texas, Louisiana, and Arkansas, and learning about how how barbecue is different in those uh, in those different areas. So um, the first question I want to ask about Arkansas barbecue is, what does barbecue mean to the people of Arkansas? Uh, barbecue at least to me would mean getting friends and family together, kicking back and having a good time and enjoying good conversation over good food. You know, even if, you know, you have some family members who have different, you know, you have that one family member that's just done any, they've done any and everything to hack you off. You still call them family. You call them up and say, Hey, we're going to be, you know, we're going to have a big old spread at the house. You're invited. They'll be, they'll say, all right, we'll be there. And you, you know, put your differences aside and bring them back in. I look at the, uh, the members of our group, past and present, as I call them my barbecue family. Because no matter what, whenever we decide to do some cooking, you know, everybody shows up. Yeah. I love that about barbecue. It, uh, it helps everybody put their differences aside and just come together. So what about the uh, the competition scene? You briefly started to mention uh, KCBS there before. What's the competition scene like in Arkansas? Uh, the competition scene is actually pretty decent. Uh, now we have, um, we, well, KCBS is still the, I would say, the number one sanctioning group for contests in Arkansas. Uh, but we also have NBN Memphis Barbecue Network. Uh, they do a few contests. There's a few sanctioned contests over here um, or in the state. But those are um, a lot of the NBN contests are actually on the eastern side of the state, uh, say from Little Rock over towards uh, Helena, West Helena, Memphis, or excuse me, West Memphis um, on that side. Then we also have uh, we have a handful of uh, IBCA contests that are uh, that are springing up and have been around for a few years now. Uh, we still, like I said, KCBS is still pretty much the number one, but uh, there's quite a there's actually quite a few IBCA and Memphis barbecue contests that are going on as well. In fact. Um, there's a few weekends uh, later on this season that we'll have a KCBS contest and an IBCA contest going on the same weekend that may be about 100, 125 miles apart. Oh, wow. Very cool. So a little bit of a tangent question. How are the competitions different between those different uh, sanctioning bodies? Uh, KCBS... You've got pretty strict rules to follow that are decided by the, the board of directors for Kansas City Barbecue Society. Um, since we, since Bordertown is a KCBS sanctioned event, um, we have we have to have two contest reps on site starting. We'll see our contest is a Friday Saturday event, so Ralph and Karen Williams will come in. Friday around 11, 12 o'clock in the afternoon. And as the teams are coming in, 
Ralph and Karen will be meeting them once they arrive at their at their uh, spot, handing them their turning trays, telling them when the cooks meeting will be. Of course, myself and the members of the Barbecue Society do that as well. But the judging is very strict. And while myself and Brandy as organizers of Watertown, we oversee the cook teams coming in and coordinating the judging or the judges to come in. It's ultimately Ralph and Karen who will be basically running the judging portion of the contest and the scoring. In fact, I'm not even allowed to be in the judging area while the judging is going on. I can come in ahead of time, thank the judges for being here or for arriving since they're volunteers. And some of them have traveled from several states in to, to judge at this contest. You know, we thank them for being there. Um, you know, some of them who have known me for quite a while, they look at me and they ask how much, how many hours of sleep I've had that weekend. I'll probably, if I say two to four, they're looking at me like, no, you're good. And, uh, <laughs> which is kind of the case. But, um, uh, KCBS is actually one of the more strict, I w- well, strict might be a harsh term. It's one of the more um, stringent and rigid contests in terms of the rules to follow. Um, IBCA, it, well, IBCA is a little bit more relaxed on some of the criteria. Um, KCBS's turn-ins are every 30 minutes, and IBCA's are every hour, which is really nice. Uh, especially when your your chicken is stalled out and you can't you can't get it above 165 degrees and you're sitting there looking at your at your clock and it's like oh crud I'm supposed to turn this in so wait a minute I've got an hour still before turn in so I'm okay and if if you fall a little bit behind in doing your rib prep or the prepping of your box to turn in for ribs rather than having just maybe fit you know. 10 to 20 minutes to get your rib box ready. Well, you've got now 40 to 50 minutes to get it ready. So IBCA is a little bit more relaxed on that. I've cooked an IBCA contest before. I actually kind of liked it, but if you want the adrenaline rush, KCBS is still probably the way to go. Memphis barbecue. Uh, I'm honestly, I've never cooked one of those. I'd love to one of these years, but in Memphis barbecue, you're doing primarily pork categories. And if you make it, I believe if you make it through the first round of blind judging, then the judges actually come to your site and do an onsite judging, which to me would be kind of, if I was doing it for the first time, I would be intimidated because I would be sitting there tripping over my words because I'm having to stare at somebody face to face and try to explain to them how I prepared this. Whereas with KCBS and IBCA, it's blind judging. So all you've got to do is make sure that you get it in the box and you don't trip as you're going up to the turn-in area and you have the box facing right side up and you don't know. You have six people in that at that table who are looking at a box and they don't know who's the who's. So, I mean, it's... Uh, I would, act, like I said, I'd love to try Memphis barbecue once just to say I did it. But I've actually heard from other teams that, you know, when they do the on site, sometimes it can be pretty intimidating. 
I'd imagine it would be, yeah. And you definitely want to be making sure you had all your ducks in a row and everything lined up properly and some $100 bills folded in napkins to hand out to the judges so they can wipe their mouths with them afterwards and all that sort of stuff to make sure you got through. <laughs> mm-hmm. In fact, in fact uh, on the KCBS contest, before they changed the rule on it, I would actually go to, I would cook in a KCBS contest and my father would be one of the judges on Saturday and he followed the rules where judges were not allowed to fraternize with the teams the day of the competition or the day of turn-ins. And sometimes you had, the judges would have to walk through the cook area to get over the turn-in. And I would actually see him walk by and he would never turn his head to look at me or acknowledge me. He just, it was kind of like he had blinders on and he just, he was focused on getting to that turn-in chin. After the contest was over with and I made it back home with my score sheet, I would actually ask him, I said, did you judge box number so-and-so? And he said, yeah, I think I did. And I said, what judge were you? And he said, well, I, you know, he'd tell me the number. And I'd look at the score and I said, why did you give me this? And he'd say, well, you were just off your game today. He said, you didn't you didn't turn in a good product. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, it's the blind judging in KCBS is pretty strict. I mean, he didn't even know it was my box until I had reminded him. <laughs> so I told him afterwards. Yeah, it sounds like he was taking it all very seriously. Uh, very serious. I've actually seen, I saw a team get disqualified at our contest, as a matter of fact, because they we were doing pork turn-ins and this team had turned in a pork box with a piece of jalapeno or a sliver of jalapeno on top. And uh, since it was declared a foreign object, the refs had to go back to, the, to their tent and say, you're disqualified because of this. And that team was so upset, the head cook decided to empty his firebox out completely on the grass. I mean, he still had coals and wood burning. The teams around him were screaming at him not to do it. He says, I don't care. And he shoveled everything out. And next thing you know, I had a, well, I didn't even know what was happening until after the fact. He had guys over there with water trying to put the, uh, trying to put the fire out. But some of them get a little upset when they get disqualified for you know, little minute things like that. Yeah, it's got to be heartbreaking, but you've also got to uh, be aware of fire safety rules and things like, uh, you know, the promoters getting their bond back on the venue and all that sort of stuff as well. I can't imagine that guy was invited back again the next year. Yeah, especially when we have burn bans going on in the middle of summer. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned the the backyard scene there earlier, some backyard competitions and that. How do they work? Uh, Backyard contests around here – they're laid back. You're not competing in all four categories. You're not cooking brisket or pork. Uh, you're doing just chicken and ribs. Uh, I would say about 95% of the time, you're not necessarily going by the KCBS rules. Um, some backyard contests will actually, they will look at the KCBS rules and they'll kind of loosely base their contest rules on KCBS. I mean, they can't go word for word with KCBS because if you do that, 
KCBS catches wind of it. They're real nice in sending out cease and desist letters. Um, but like I said, you can take, you can look at the KCBS rules and kind of tweak them to the point where they'll work for a backyard contest. And a lot of times, you know, the backyards are being done primarily for, you know, for fundraising. And it's just a way to get people interested in trying to do competition barbecue and having a little fun in the process. And are they literally done in people's backyards? Uh, Not necessarily. Not contests like that, but usually they'll have, if there's like a little festival going on or something, you'll have contests going on with that. Now, as for the backyard, you know, as for home backyard scenes, I'd say there's in this region, there's probably, you know, a few hundred smokers in the backs of people's houses. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. So when we're talking backyard competitions, I guess the, the backyard part means like amateur, not not literally someone's backyard. Yeah, we just call it the backyard because it's actually easier and a lot of cases quicker to cook chicken and ribs than it would be to cook pork butt or brisket. And if you're if you got a little festival going on and you have maybe a four hour window to do a contest where you'll have people coming out, ribs and chicken is probably the best way the best way to go. And it's an amateur deal, so I mean it it may it some people do it for the for what little prize money they do the the contest will give out, but a lot of them do it just for bragging rights. Say, well, by gosh, I went up against you know ten other teams and. You know, the judges thought my ribs were the best ones in the in the contest, and they can use that as bragging rights when they're talking to their families or their, a bunch of their friends. Oh, yeah, I think we all do that. <laughs> oh, yeah. So tell me about Arkansas-style barbecue. Are there any particular meats, fuels, or methods that are uniquely Arkansian? Um, up here, where we're at in, in Fort Smith, and this is more for your listeners, we're in what we call the River Valley. I mean, the Arkansas River flows through Fort Smith, uh, down to Little Rock, and then meets up with the Mississippi on the other side of the state. Around here, our method of cooking is not strictly Arkansan. A lot of it is geared more towards Kansas City style of cooking or Kansas City style of barbecue. Now, once you go through Little Rock and you go over to the eastern side of the state into the Delta, your cooking tends to be more kind of like a Memphis style. Um, you're doing more pork, uh, less beef, and definitely less chicken. But you're also doing more dry rub versus wet rub or uh, saucing and things like that. Now, what happens up around uh, what happens up around the northeastern part of the state and around the Boot Hill? Some of that might reflect on Memphis, but I would say if there was anything, if there was any method that would be more Arkansan, I would say it was probably probably having to cook everything with hickory <laughs> in terms of the fuel source. All right, yeah. Yeah, we, some of the barbecue places, or we call them hole in the walls around here, but some of the barbecue dives that have been around for, you know, 50, 60, 70 years, they pretty much swear by using hickory. They said, we won't use anything else. we got to use hickory. Uh, Method-wise, everybody's still doing the low and slow approach. Um, 
there's a couple of barbecue franchise restaurants that will actually try to do hot and fast, trying to cook their briskets and pork butts in six hours versus, you know, 12 to 15 hours like that. Um, Meat-wise, like I said, everything on on the western side of Little Rock, you've got the full gamut, you know, chicken, beef, pork, a lot of sausage is being served. And then um, you know, on the eastern side of Little Rock, you'll find more pork available over there versus uh, beef for chicken. You might latch on to a barbecue chain that will serve all four of the primary meats. But uh, the smaller mom and pop places have been around for years. Pork's going to be primarily it. Maybe a little bit of chopped beef. Oh, very interesting. It sounds like uh, sounds like the Arkansas barbecue scene's a bit of a melting pot. I love it. It is. A lot of it is a melting pot because, like I said, in the Delta region of the of Arkansas with the Mississippi, that you have a lot of people that cross over from Mississippi and in Tennessee to shut up shop or have you know make a life here. Um, since we're surrounded by Louisiana, Texas, Oklahoma, Missouri, and you know, we got everybody around us coming in. Uh, this side of the state, we have a large influx thanks to Walmart, Tyson, you know, several of the bigger companies, you know, worldwide companies like that up in Northwest Arkansas. We have we actually have a lot more people coming in from outside of the region, and a lot of them are actually bringing in barbecue that that they've learned where they came from. I'm sad to say I haven't been able to sample as much as I want to, <laughs> with uh, especially with some of the barbecue joints up in Northwest Arkansas. Sounds like you might have a few uh, a few goals to add to your list there, mate. That is a goal. One of the, I mean, I do a lot of traveling for my job because I'm a field technician working on food service equipment. And... Uh, when time allows, if I have an opportunity to go to a barbecue joint, I'll certainly go. A lot of days when I'm in a particular town and it's like, I know there's a place here I want to try. Knowing my luck, I'll get caught on a service call and I'll have to say, well, so much for lunch. And I'll try to get them the next month or a month after when they come back through the area. Yeah, sounds like a good plan. So what's something that you'd like to see happen in the Arkansas barbecue scene in the future? Well, I'd like to see probably some more contests spring up. Uh, like I said, we're trying to keep Bordertown going. Uh, we're in our 17th year now. We'd like to see it continue as well as a lot of our other teams that come in from the state. We'd like to see it continue. Um, like to see some more backyard contests start up and, you know, start working on essentially the next generation of cookers of barbecue cookers and tell them don't be afraid you know keep trying until you figure out what flavor profile you want and be happy with it um that's pretty much i mean that's part of what i'd like to see is the continuation of the contests that are already established in arkansas and possibly bringing in some more and starting up some more amateur contests getting people who think well i'm maybe i'm not cut out to go against the big professional teams, but I can sure go up against my neighbor, you know, in a friendly chicken and rib contest. That's what I'd like to see. Now, restaurant-wise, personally, I'd love to see some of these restaurants be able to 
prepare a barbecue and when you order it, you know, a couple hours after the lunch rush, it's still be just as moist and flavorful as when it first came off the smoker. <laughs> There's a few places like that that really disappoint in that in that regard, but I'm not gonna name names. No, no, let's not do that. <laughs> we don't want any of those cease and desist letters we we're talking about before. You're listening to the internationally awarded Smoking Hot Confessions podcast. It's sacrilegious. There's a famous Australian song that says, from little things, big things grow. And that's certainly true for Morgan, the wizard behind wild smoke barbecue seasoning. Born and raised in the farming areas of the Brisbane Valley with parents who raised him to uphold the true paddock-to-plate philosophy, it all started with his mother's recipe for how to make bacon. The Wild Smoke online shop now sports almost a dozen products, including two very exciting new rubs developed in conjunction with Top 20 barbecue competition team, the Smokin' Hot Bros. It's a two-parter. There's the Bulldust Rub, which is a purpose-designed competition brisket rub, and Vinegar X, a finishing dust, which is an Australian first. I've tried them, and they are exceptional. To get your hands on some of these masterpieces, head on over to wildsmoke.com.au. That's wild with a Y. W-Y-L-D-S-M-O-K-E.com.au. Daniel, we're now in segment three, the lightning round. I'm going to throw some quick questions at you for your uh, first instinct, one word or one sentence response. How does that sound? Okay. All right. So brisket, fat side up or down? Uh, for me, fat side up. Chicken, breast, wings or thighs? Uh, thighs. Pork ribs, St. Louis, baby back or spare? Baby backs. Number four, sauce, on the meat or on the side? Oh, depends on the meat. I would say for me it's a 50-50. Charcoal, briquettes or lump? Lump. What's something that you find tricky to cook? Uh, Pork tenderloin and if I'm given the opportunity, beef ribs. What's one tip or trick you wish you'd known sooner? Uh... How to draft properly on my fire first time out. Ooh, good one. Talking about the future now, what do you think is going to be the next trend in barbecue? Oh, teams figuring out how to do sous vide and the time and the time to do turn in. Ooh, sous vide. That's going to be controversial. Yeah, I have a feeling there's a few teams are probably experimenting with it already. Not in competition. I mean, at home, but. It wouldn't surprise me if that's going to be one of the next things down uh, in the future or in competition, allowing propane to be used as a fire. Oh, interesting. That kind of leads me almost into the next question. Pellet grills in competitions, yay or nay? Well, I'm going to go ahead and say yay. And if there were a fantasy barbecue league, who would you choose for your team? Uh, I would have Robert Wandell of Habitual Smokers, who's out of Springdale, Travis Clark, Clark Crew Barbecue out of uh, Econ, Oklahoma, Johnny Teal, Buffalo's Barbecue out of Sperry, Oklahoma, David Bosca, Butcher Barbecue out of Chandler, Oklahoma, and there's several others, but those guys right there would be, they would be up there 
in my dream team, and I'm probably going to offend several others <laughs> with the, with that one. But hey, that's what I can come up with off the top of my head. Mate, that's a very strong-sounding team. Well, Daniel, you've been very generous with your time, and it's very much appreciated. So now I'm going to hand the confessional over to you. Feel free to give whatever shout-outs you'd like to and tell the listeners where they can track you down on the internet. Well, Dan, I, I definitely appreciate you reaching out to uh, me and the Fortunate Barbecue Society. So, I mean, shout-out to you for basically asking me to do this. I mean, I've had fun with it. Um like to basically give a shout out to all of the teams that are competing every weekend out there on the circuit, especially the ones around here in the Oklahoma, Texas, Missouri, Kansas region, and Louisiana for that matter. Uh, I wish I was out there with them, uh, being able to cook, but right now time and uh, work are constraining it. Um, listeners can find us on the web uh we have a website it's www.bordertownbash that's all one word uh dot com that's our competition site and we also have a facebook page uh look for us at fort smith bbq society we really need to post more (laughs) (laughs) but uh i think we're a lot of times when we do these fundraisers, uh, we just get wrapped up in trying to trying to keep everything going, and we forget to take pictures. But since we have one this weekend coming up, uh, I think we're going to try to make a little bit better effort on it. Sounds like you need to recruit some teenagers to the team, mate. Yeah. <laughs> well, mate, thank you so much for sharing your time with me today. My uh, my wife's family is from Fort Smith, so I got no doubt I'm going to meet up with you in person pretty shortly. If you make it up this way, give me a holler and uh, definitely would like to meet you in person. Well, family, thanks for stopping by. I'm sure you learned as much here as I did. Make sure you subscribe, rate and review. And until next time, take care of each other and keep on queuing. Thanks for listening to the Smoking Hot Confessions podcast. Head on over to smokinghotconfessions.com for recipes, tips and Ben's own confessions.